So we're looking at John 17, John 17, 20 through 26. We're picking up in the middle of Jesus uh, actually praying. And this is what he says. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. The grass withers, flowers fade away. The word of God stands forever. Let's pray before we talk about it further tonight. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us that you would speak, that you don't leave yourself um, without revelation. You don't hide from us, but you speak to us. You want us to hear from you and to know you. But Father, we have to confess that for that to happen, we need you to do more than just speak. We need you to work in us by your Holy Spirit to uh, cause us to hear. Our ears are stopped up. Our eyes tend to be blind. And so, Father, we pray that you would, you would change that. Even tonight, that you would be with us and that we would be able to see you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of, the, uh, one of the many great things about being a campus minister, uh, there are a lot, I have a great job and I enjoy it very much, but one of the things that I have the opportunity to do is do a decent amount of weddings, right? If you work with college-age students, uh, you are going to tend to traffic in the realm of a uh, time when people get married, and so that's a lot of fun, and it's a lot of fun for a number of reasons, right? It's, it's an exciting time in that particular couple's life. Uh, and so it's fun to be a part of that, right? There, um, yeah, to get to get the opportunity to play an important role, uh, certainly in the wedding, but in their relationship as they begin, as they begin marriage, right? Get to take part and do the service. Get to do premarital counseling leading up to that, where you get to, yeah, sort of help in some little way, try to shape what's about to happen, and. I think it's fair to say that the theme that would run through the premarital counseling and the, the theme of marriage in some sense, is it all comes back to unity, right? Because that's exactly what marriage is. You're taking two very distinct people and you are, they are bringing their lives together and making them one in really every sense. Taking two lives and, and bringing them together to make them one. And it's a beautiful thing, right? It's something that you know probably everybody in here, at least most everybody in here would want. It's something you look forward to. 
And so it's fun to be able to be a part of that, to, to sort of, in a sense, be on the inside and get to see it. Um, as, you know, as this new couple begins to, to, uh, to figure out what it means to be married, right? Because I'm going to declare them, you know, when you get to the big day, and I'll say, you know, I now pronounce you husband and wife, and they're totally different. And yet, you know, they're married. And yet, they have no clue what that means, right? And so it's fun to be, in, be there on the, on the sort of ground floor, to begin to watch them grow into what's already been said that's true of them. So it's a beautiful thing, and it's an incredibly powerful thing, right? Unity. And as, we, as we've been looking this semester through the farewell discourse, right, Jesus' farewell speech to his disciples, in some sense it's his last words to them. They're about to face life uh, trying to follow his followers of Jesus, and yet he's not there. And this is what he has for them to hear. This is what they need to hear is they're going to face life like that. And, you know, every week we say that that's what you and I now call everyday life, right? If you're a follower of Jesus without him physically here. And so what he, we, the last uh, two weeks and now the third week, we've looked at Jesus has ended this speech with a prayer. Some folks call it the high priestly prayer. And we're looking at the very last segment And Jesus essentially prays for one thing. He prays for unity. He prays that his followers, those 11 guys that are with him right there, and then every follower that's going to come after him, that they would all be united as one. That they would be together as one, and that that his people would be with him, with God the Father and with God the Son, as one. It's all about unity. That's what he ends with. And so tonight, I want to take just a few minutes and look. I want to see three things about what Jesus has to say here about unity. We're going to look at it along three lines. First, we're going to see the need for unity. Secondly, we'll see the basis of that unity. And then thirdly and finally, we'll see the encouragement that that unity offers. So first, the need for unity. Like we just said, that Jesus is praying for, for all of his people. The guys right there, right then, and then everyone else to follow. Which includes you, if you're here tonight, and, and you're a believer. He prays that they would be unified. And there's two ways I want to look at this, that, that I want you to see how being one, that God's people being one is necessary. Because I think, it, I think the text is very clear that... It's necessary that God's people be unified. So first, unity is necessary because it's good for us. It's good for us as believers. right? Think about the context. If you were with us last week, you know that we talked about how Jesus said that he needs his followers to be in the world. Not of the world, but in the world. And the world can be a really tough place. It can be a really difficult place. So think about the beauty that what Jesus prays for next is that as he sends his people into the world, he's essentially saying, you're not going to go alone. You're going to be together. You're going to be with other people. You've got to do this with other people. The world is a scary place, so to speak. It is a tough place. And you can't do this And you don't have to do this by yourself. You see, Jesus is praying that his people will be together. 
it's a beautiful thing. Right? That you have to be, that you, yeah, you must be part of a community, and that community is called the church. And so I want, I, want, I want you to think for just a minute with me, just reflect for just a second on how, how great it is that God doesn't just save individuals, right? He doesn't just forgive people of their sins and then just let them sort of go about life and, and try to figure it out the best way they can on their own. You know, just good luck with that. No. He prays for, Jesus prays for, and, and I think it's important to say that Jesus, of course, always gets what he prays for. That his people will be together. That you won't be alone. And so it's in the church. It's in unity and in community with other believers where where you see God at work. Right? Think about the beauty of the fact that if you're a follower of Christ... You're not out there on your own. That you have people around you that encourage you. That you're part of a, you're part of a oneness of people that will, will come alongside you and love you. That will care for you. That will, that will encourage you. That might even go so far as to love you enough to point out where you're wrong. And that you get to do that for other people. So, what, what does that mean? In other words, I guess I would say it like this. You don't have to go through it by yourself. You're not alone. It means that you don't walk through your despair by yourself. You don't walk through your depression alone. That you don't have to face your addiction or your eating disorder or whatever it is that you're dealing with, you do not face that by yourself. Think about the beauty of that. That you have people that will come around you and come alongside you, whatever it is. That essentially come alongside you and say, yeah, me too. I've been there. I know what it's like. We have unity. And really, that's one of the main ways that God works in His people, right? It's how God ministers to His people. After all, the church is called the body of Christ. It's Him ministering to His people. You get people that come beside you in love and sharpen you by pointing out sin in your life. When people come alongside and they say, Look, that's not so good that you do that. And I love you enough to tell you. Right? It gives you a community that's called to take care of each other. Just in the last week... I got to see a good friend of mine who, who has come on to very unique and difficult financial trouble due to no fault of their own. And I got to see their church come alongside them and say, you have this significant financial burden, but you're not going to bear that by yourself. We're going to take care of it. It was a beautiful thing. Right? Think, I mean, isn't that beautiful? Don't you want that? To have a, have a community. That's what Jesus prays for and it's what he gets. The second way that, that we see that unity is necessary, it's good for us, but it's also going to make an impact on the world. Do you see that? Do you notice that? It's, it pops up twice in the passage. 
Why does Jesus say that he wants his followers to be one, to be unified? Verse 21 and verse 23. It's so that the world will see that unity and believe. So that the world will see the the unity, the oneness of his people that, that his followers share and they'll see that and they'll it will make an impact on them. They'll believe. So why would the unity of believers be compelling evidence of God's love? Right? Why, why is that the case? If the church is unified, if, if Christians are in community, why will that be evidence of God's love and cause people to believe? And I think it's because, if you think about it, oneness, right? right? Not being alone is something that everybody wants. And yet it's really hard to find. It's, it's in some ways incredibly rare. When we were uh, back in Louisville, we were part of, uh, our church had community groups. And we were, one of my best friends was the leader of our community group. And one of his neighbors, you know, a house or two down, saw that he had people over uh, one night. And he asked him about it later. He said, hey, saw so you had a bunch of folks over. What, what were you all up to? And he said, oh, that was our community group with church. And he said, oh, that sounds cool. What, what's that all about? And he said, we basically just get together and we, you know, we eat together and we laugh and talk and uh, talk about our lives together and we pray for each other and just you know, care for each other and, yeah, we talk about hard things and fun things and, yeah, we just sort of be together. And the guy said, man, that sounds awesome. That sounds really good. I wish I could find a non-religious version of that. Right, you see, he, he saw that, that that sounds good, but the problem is that you can't really find a non-Christian version of that. Why? And the reason is because you and I, and everyone else ever, we're sinful. We're actually, we actually come out of the womb built only caring fundamentally about ourselves. Right? And that doesn't promote unity, that promotes disunity. Right? That's the way we naturally are. So if you see a group that has actual real unity, then something pretty amazing has happened. Because if a group is going to be unified, that means that you have things happening like people forgiving each other. It means that you have people um, admitting they're wrong to one another. It means that you have people Bearing each other's burdens, sacrificing for one another, laying down their rights, so to speak. You have some pretty amazing stuff happening. And when that happens, the world is going to sit up and take notice. So it's necessary. So secondly, we've seen that it's necessary. Now let's look at the the basis for this unity. The basis for it. So where in the world would this kind of radical unheard of unity, where would that come from? What could cause that to happen? And Jesus makes it very clear in this passage what causes that, the basis for the unity. And it comes from being united to God himself. Right? You see a lot of of language in this passage about being in one another, right? God the Father in me, I in him, we in you, you know, it's just sort of this big, seems like this big mishmash of everyone together. And Jesus is saying that he wants his followers to be one just like he and the Father are one. 
That that oneness stems from the fact that, that his followers have experienced the same, the same love that, the God, that God the Father has for the Son. That they've experienced that love from God. Think about that for just a second. The, the way in which God the Father loves Jesus, he's saying in that same way, God the Father and the Son loves you. And that's the basis for that unity. Right? We're, we're supposed to be on the outside of that. We don't deserve to be on the inside of that. And yet we're brought in. That's the beauty of the gospel. You're brought in to that kind of Trinitarian perfect love. You're not just tolerated. You don't just get to sort of be in the club, but we want you to stand over there. You get to be in completely. And when that happens, when you're joined up to that kind of love, when you're joined up with with that God, and others are joined up to that God, and that kind of good news, then what's going to happen is that everything else, all your other differences are going to fade away. They're going to begin to be less important, right? They're going to fade into the background. i got a couple of illustrations here of this. So think about Baylor football. Think about all, yeah, woohoo, right? Um, all the, I'm, I'm pro Baylor. All the people that are for Baylor football, think about a given Saturday, right? Having a game, all the people that are in that stadium, think about all the differences, right? There are people of all sorts of different age, obviously different gender, different race, people from different countries, totally different economic um, backgrounds and standings, different political ideas, right? On and on. You got, all kinds of differences. But they care very much about one thing, right? About Baylor football. And so think about just probably the most, you know, the best example from this season. When, when Baylor football was at its, at its most exciting, its happiest, right? When you come back and you beat TCU, I bet if you looked around the stadium... There is no doubt you would have seen people that have, would have no other reason to really even hang out and interact, hugging each other, high-fiving each other, right? Why? Because that one thing that you care about trumps all the rest. Especially in that kind of moment, nothing else matters. It doesn't matter what color your skin is, what, you know, you're Republican or Democrat, what, it doesn't matter what you think. Baylor won, and that's what matters right then. Right? It's a little taste. A little taste of the basis of the unity. So how much more unified would you be, should we be, will we be, if what we're unified to and around is the God of this universe who loves you and and saves you, takes you from death to life? Right, Baylor football, awesome. But that, you know, in some sense, not even worth comparing, right? How much more unified would we be? And so what, what does that mean for us? Well, it means more and more that, that we'll begin to see the differences between us. If you're a believer, right, the, the differences between you and other believers should fade into the background more and more. Right? That if you are a follower of Christ, then it will matter less and less what fraternity or sorority you're in. 
or, or therein, or if they're in one at all, or whether they come from money or not, or what major they're in, or what anything, right? The color of their skin. Those things are going to fade into the background more and more because we're unified around something that makes, that trumps all of that. And it's actually also that unity with God that will be what will empower and enable unity to happen. Right? If what you're unified, if what you're united to is a God that looks at you and says, as sinful as you are, even though you are my enemy, I love you and I've given you my righteousness and you're going to find your whole identity wrapped up, tied to me. And my identity is perfect. If that's what you're tied to, united with, then more and more, when you, when you engage with other people, you're going to be able to do that with, with unity, right? Because when somebody sins against you, when somebody insults you, or, or disrespects you in some way, if your identity is tied to him... It doesn't have to be tied to, to your perception of their respect, right? You can begin more and more to let that go because you're, you're tied to him. Uh, when somebody sins against you, you're able more and more to forgive because you don't have to hang on to that because your identity is tied to him. When, some, when you hear about somebody... That's, that's screwed up. That somebody's sinned in some way, right? They've, they've blown it. I think more and more it means, and I, you know, I don't, other people probably do this, but I don't, right? More and more you, you won't be secretly just a little happy that, that they screwed up. If your identity is tied to Him and His righteousness, then more and more you don't need to see other people fail so that you feel better. And in fact, your heart can break for people and go out towards people. Because your righteousness isn't bound up in relation to how good or bad they are. And that breeds unity. Because our identity is tied in Him. Alright, so thirdly and finally, we've seen the what? Need for unity and the basis for unity. That's how many things I can remember off the top of my head without thinking hard. And so now I want you to see the encouragement of unity. The encouragement that unity offers. And there's actually two, it's, it's along two lines here that I want us to look at in this passage. One of them is very brief. Two lines of encouragement for us for the future. So essentially the idea here is that Jesus is praying that, that his mission will come to completion. That it will actually be successful that it will come to its, its ultimate fruition and it will happen. And, like, and as we said, Jesus always gets what he asks for. So the first one I want you to see is in verse 20. And again, very quick. Look what Jesus, Jesus prays in verse 20. He prays for those that will believe in him through their word. There being the disciples that are right there. He prays for all those that are going to come some later time. Right, there are 11 men right now that are hearing him say this. 
He's praying for all the people that are going to come from hearing those guys' word about him. Now, I want you to think about that. You might like, okay, yeah, I read that, so. But think about the encouragement that that would bring to these 11 guys. You know, very possibly right then, and then certainly as they begin to think back on that. Because what's about to happen? Well, they're about to all scatter, right? They're going to come arrest Jesus, and they're going to just, they're gone. At least for a little bit. And then they're going to be persecuted. But they, they have this word, hopefully, right, ringing in the back of their ears that Jesus prayed for all the people that are going to come to know him. Right? He sent us out on this mission, and it just doesn't look like it's going real well. They're, you know, it's it, not many more than are here tonight, probably, originally. But do you see that the fact that Jesus prayed this and that this prayer was answered is the reason that we're here tonight. Right? Do you see the encouragement that is? That these men have the, and us now, have the ability, the, the, the comfort to look and say, it is going to work. Jesus really is going to bring his kingdom. People really are going to have their hard hearts softened. People really are going to come to repent and to love Jesus. It really is going to happen. And that's, that's true for us. We can have the confidence the encouragement to know that he is going to work through us. All right, the other encouragement the one I want to end with uh, is really the ultimate unity that Jesus prays for here. And this, this is by far my favorite part. All right, so in verse 24, Jesus prays that that one day his followers would be with him and see him in his glory, right? Jesus prays that his followers will, will one day, that they will be with him and they will see him in, his, in, in the fullness of his glory. And so now that, that might sound you know, good in and of itself, right? And it certainly is. It might sound like what Jesus is praying is that you know, one day uh, you'll be able to see Jesus for as amazing as he really is, and that's it. And I don't get me wrong, that's absolutely true. But I want you to look in verse 22. It says, The glory that you, speaking of the Father, that you, Father, have given me, I have given to them. So do you remember what we said last week or maybe two weeks ago about glory and what it is? Remember we said that the original word, back in the Hebrew, the original word um, was the same word that we would translate as, as heavy. Weight. That something's glory is how, how heavy, how weighty it is, right? And so we talked about how, uh, we said how much something matters, right? So, so notice what Jesus is saying. He says that the glory that God the Father gave to Jesus. In other words, I think it's fair to say how much God the Father thinks that Jesus matters. How weighty he believes Jesus to be, right? That that glory he took and he shares with, gives to his people, to you. So in other words, God the Father knows that there is nothing more important than Jesus, than his own son. And that Jesus is essentially saying, that's exactly how I feel about you. 
Right? The glory that the God the Father has given to me, I have shared it with you. So essentially, what does it all mean? He's saying that one day, that if you're a follower of His, that you really are going to see Him face to face. And you're going to see, you're going to see the fullness of how much He loves you. That in a very real sense, that is His glory. That His glory is how much He loves you and thinks that you matter. And Jesus is praying for, and therefore it will happen. One day, you will see that. That it will happen. So what does that mean? Quick application. I guess to put it, put it very bluntly and shortly, it means that if, if you're a believer, you're going to make it. It means you're going to make it. Right? We've talked all semester about how this is, this is Jesus telling us about what it looks like to live every day, in and out, mundane Christian life. And that that can be a real struggle. And what this is telling us is that no matter how hard it is, no matter how dark it gets, no matter how backwards it feels, you're going to make it. Because Jesus is going to see that it happens. Because He's prayed for you. You're actually going to see Him and be with Him. So let me end with this thought. We open with the illustration of marriage, right? For unity. And we're going to end there as well. Um, because the Bible does. Right? You don't see it directly in this passage. This passage doesn't talk about marriage. But John, who wrote John, is going to go on to write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Revelation, right? last book of the Bible. And it's going to end with Revelation 19 and, and a little bit in 21. As it tells us, gives us the picture of what, of what the end looks like. When, when God's kingdom finally comes in its fullness. When he brings all of human history to its final consummation, its final point, that what it looks like is a marriage. That it looks like the marriage supper of the Lamb. That it looks like Jesus, the groom, being wed to his bride, the church. Right? You get this picture of a wedding. Of two in some sense, distinct things becoming one, unity. Jesus and his bride, the church, coming together. And this is saying that that is actually going to happen. Now, let me, let me be careful to say this. That that marriage is, in a sense, already. Like, it is real now. If you're a believer, you are wed to Christ. And there's also a sense in which it is not yet. Right, the fullness of it. And this is saying that that fullness will come. That you will see Jesus and see how much He loves you. You'll see the fullness of how much He loves you. Let me end with this illustration. And look, I'm going to cry in this illustration. You're probably going to cry in this illustration. It's a good one. So we've, we've done a wedding illustration already, but I've saved this one. Right, The last time we did a wedding illustration, I said... Uh, if, if you remember, that next time you go to a wedding, and then every time you go to a wedding, you want to watch the groom's face when the bride comes in, right? 
You want to see his reaction. Well, one of my all-time favorite wedding moments, seeing uh, two friends of mine get married. I was not doing the service. I was in the very back row of the church. That will come into play in just a minute. So in this church, there's no center aisle. Okay, So it's just pews, but the door is right behind, right behind the pews. And so you have the groom standing down there at the front. And when it's time for the bride to come in, right, music kicks in, and the doors are about to open, and everybody does what? They stand up. So the sanctuary is slightly inclined. Uh, there's no center aisle. And so everyone's now standing, and now the groom can't see. Hold it together. All right, doors open, and he can't see. I'm on the very back row of the church. Got there a little late. My back is touching the wall, okay? I'm the last seat. I see him standing. I see his head start bobbing above, you know, the heads of the people in the congregation. He's trying to, trying to see. And then I hear, from the back row, I hear him basically yelling. I can't see her. I can't see her. I can't see her. As he stands on his tiptoes, just straining to see the girl that he loves, that he's about to marry. Okay? I don't care who you are. You look at that and you see, that boy loves her. Right? Because you don't do that in weddings. Especially in the deep south. You don't, you don't, you don't act like that. He doesn't care. And, man, breathe. As she turned the corner to come down the aisle, and they finally see each other, he just begins to bawl. And she does too. And now I am. Right? And I think you get the point. It's this beautiful picture. In fact, that's just a little taste of what Jesus is saying will happen one day if you're a follower of Jesus. That one day you will, that you will turn the corner, so to speak. And what you will see is a Savior that loves you so much. What you'll see is a Savior that you'll be overwhelmed with the fullness of His love. That faith, your faith will become sight. And then you'll get to be with Jesus forever in perfect unity and oneness. It is going to happen. It is going to happen. You are going to make it. Because Jesus will see to it. Don't you want somebody to love you like that? I know you do. And he offers his love to you tonight. And that's an invitation. And I hope you take it. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, it is a wonder that you love us at all. It's a wonder that you like us, that you tolerate us. And it is, it is hard almost to believe that you would love us in such a way that you would give your life for us, that you would wed us to yourself, that you would bind up your happiness with ours. 
and that you would make sure that we one day will get to see you and that we will bask in your love forever. Jesus, we, we pray what you've prayed and we ask it in your name. Amen.